Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Well, I am super excited to be introducing a, a kindred spirit, uh, Mr. Chris Bailey, who has just an extreme commitment to self-experimentation and figuring out what works best, and particularly in the area of productivity. So he's got so much good stuff to share. You're going to learn, one, what 35 hours of weekly meditation does to your productivity, two, how to galvanize your daily attention using the rule of three, and three, the power of single tasking and claiming the missing 47% of our attention. You want to find the show notes, the transcript, the things mentioned, you're going to find that awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep32. Here's a bit about Chris. When Chris Bailey graduated university, he received two full-time job offers, but decided to decline them both to dedicate a full year of his life to exploring his weird passion, productivity. For a full year, he did anything and everything to become more productive. His work has received national and international media attention from outlets like the New York Times, Fortune, Harvard Business Review, and countless others. The prestigious TED Talks blog said that he, quote, might be the most productive man you'd ever hope to meet, end quote. Recently, Fast Company called him a, quote, productivity mastermind. And you can read Bailey's work at alifeofproductivity.com. Bailey is on a mission to share the lessons of his year-long journey, both with his new best-selling book, The Productivity Project, and in his lectures, where he offers insights and best practices that will help everyone from college students to CEOs accomplish more. Here's Chris. Chris, thanks so much for appearing here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Pete, how are you, my friend? I'm doing so well. So well. So well. Wow, that's good. Me too. Good, good to chat with you. you know, I, I also got a kick out cruising through your Twitter feed. It seems like just recently you got some business cards from Elegant Press, which look oh. amazing. Should I go ahead and buy some for myself? I think you should. You know, the, oh my gosh, they're so beautiful. You guys, anyone listening has to check out my Twitter feed uh, just for that. Uh, I think, what's my, it's at Wiggle Chicken. So twitter.com slash Wiggle Chicken. <laughs> Which makes me giggle and, uh, every time I've typed it for the record. Yeah, giggle at the wiggle. That's what they say, as the kids say. Always and, they're uh, saying that. <laughs> he, he, yeah, every kid I know. Uh, yeah, they say Bay, B-A-E. And uh, giggle at the wiggle. Is that a abbre- abbreviation for Beyonce, or does that mean something else? I'm so out of touch. No, now. well, well, see, B A E is uh, is the abbreviation, and I thought it meant like baby, like my like my boyfriend or girlfriend or something, but apparently it means before mm-hmm. anyone else, and so it doesn't have to be. If you Urban Dictionary, it it'll come up. That's good. And Elegant Press is a Lithuanian company. That's my really? heritage. So yeah, I couldn't understand anything yeah. on their website, but I looked through the, the gallery that they have <laughs> on the site and the cards were so beautiful. And it's cool to go with a smaller shop like that instead of some big company that cranks out a million business cards every day. It's cool to get some. They're a bit more expensive, obviously, but sometimes that's that's cool. Yeah, I, I'm in. Well, hey, they're not even they paying should. for sponsorship. So, hey, good, good work, Elegant Press. They get some free press and they've earned it. So, oh my gosh, you got, we got so much to talk through. We're going to run out of time. So I'm just going to run after it. So you've conducted all of these fun productivity experiments at alifeofproductivity.com. And I just kind of want to open us up by making a little freewheeling. Can you tell me which of your many experiments yielded perhaps the most shocking, surprising, or counterintuitive results? Uh, there, yeah, as you mentioned, there's quite a few of them. 
everything from gaining 10 pounds of muscle to drinking only water for a month, living in isolation for 10 days, working 90 hour weeks, you know, the list goes on. There's dozens, but of all of them, the one that comes to mind is meditating for 35 hours over the course of a week. And so I've had a meditation ritual for years at this point where I sit on a meditation cushion for about a half an hour a day. And uh, when I started the project, I figured, you know, if I'm going to dedicate a year of my life to becoming as productive as is humanly possible, meditation seems to conflict with the idea of productivity in basically every way that you can imagine. You know, meditation is about doing basically nothing, where productivity is about doing as right. much as you possibly can, or so I thought. And so at, at the beginning of the project, I'd uh, stopped meditating entirely because I thought, you know, if I'm going to dedicate a year of my life to this thing, why do anything if you're not going to do it right? But very quickly, you know, I became more stressed. To, you know, I gave up a couple full-time job offers to start the project, which was called a year of productivity at the time. And uh, all those thoughts came rushing in, like when nobody was visiting in the first few months of the project, like, oh my gosh, I made, I made the biggest mistake imaginable. You know, I gave up everything to do this weird thing and it isn't working out. I took fewer breaks because I worked through tiredness and fatigue. I had less energy to bring to my work because I didn't have the awareness to step back from how much energy and focus I had in the first place. And of course, meditation is a practice of bringing more attention to what's in front of you in the moment. And because I stopped meditating, I brought fewer, uh, less of myself uh, to what I was working on in the moment. And because of all these things, I became less productive. And so once I realized that, you know, maybe I made a mistake getting rid of this ritual. Um, I designed an experiment to meditate for 35 hours over the course of a week. So I did, you know, sitting meditation, walking meditation, every kind of meditation out there while trying to become productive in those in that situation. And I found that I felt less productive during that experiment. But when, when I looked to how much I actually accomplished during it. So beyond how productive I felt and what I actually got done, um, I realized that I was more productive in that week looking through the logs of that experiment than I had been throughout the entire rest of the productivity project. And that blew me away. The other 51 yeah. weeks, this was week, this was top week number one rank ordered out of 52. This is the top dog. I, I think other weeks were more productive after I picked up the ritual again. But leading up to that point okay, in right. the productivity project, that was the most productive week. And uh, it blew me away because, you know, I, but it got me thinking about productivity very differently as being not about how busy we are, but rather about how much we accomplish over the course of the day. Because really, that's what we're left with at the end of the day. And it, it got me thinking also about other ingredients that are crucial to our productivity. You know, everybody knows time is important when it comes to our productivity, but attention is the ingredient of our productivity that's so often in the most demand. And so it's the most constrained. We have beeps and buzzes and notifications mm -hmm. coming at us from every direction and interruptions as well. But also energy. Energy is the fuel that we burn over the course of the day in order to get stuff done. And so the more we cultivate these three ingredients, I think, time, attention, and energy, and also bring this deliberateness and this intention behind what we work on in the first place, I think the more productive we become when we see productivity as not about how much we produce, right? Because you can 
produce email all day long and not really be productive, but Mm -hmm. rather as how much we accomplish, I think. Okay. Now that makes total sense. And I definitely want to dig into each of those ingredients, time, attention, and energy, a touch. I've rambled on quite a bit there. You got me going. It was good. It worked for me. So meditation, that's come up a lot with our guests in terms of a a personal practice for for high effectiveness. I think some people are like, what does that word exactly mean? And so just break it down like we're... yeah. Eight-year-olds, yeah. when you say, I am meditating for 30 minutes, what is it that you're doing? Or maybe you'll say, nothing. But, but what does that mean in practice? No, you're like you're, you're, you're breathing, you're, you're letting it, your attention flow. What, what are you doing? Mindful or meditation, rather. I, I do Vipassana meditation. So I have a meditation cushion here in my office. And uh, I, I sit down and focus on my breath. And, and that's one type of meditation. There's others too. But Overall, meditation is the process of continually refocusing on one thing. And so you'll notice very quickly if you sit down to do this for a couple of minutes, all you do is focus on your breath. And it sounds like the easiest thing in the world. And the idea is simple, but communism is pretty simple and difficult <laughs> in practice as well. So once you try to focus on one thing, and that being your breath, which is kind of a neutral object of attention, so it's not attractive. It's not repulsive. It's designed to be kind of boring in a way, you Mm -hmm. know, as you can probably imagine. You continually refocus on your breath when your mind wanders off to think about something else. And that's all meditation is. That's really all it is. And it sounds so simple to be almost stupidly simple. And it is. Mm -hmm. But that process of continually refocusing on one thing allows you to bring more attention to what's in front of you in a given moment. And so it allows you to kind of directly experience and be with whatever you're working on or whatever it is in front of you throughout the rest of the day when you're not on the meditation cushion. And, and so that that's all meditation is. It's a process of continually refocusing and, and not being too much of a hard ass on yourself when when your mind does venture off to think about something else because it will you know if you let your mind be just for a couple minutes without trying to meditate that's hard enough right you know it goes to worrying about something that you forgot to do or it it thinks oh i haven't hung out with uh with pete in a while maybe i should give him give him a call or an email to so we can get coffee to you know getting lost in in that thought to what happened when you were last with pete and then it goes you know it goes down all these rabbit holes and it's amazing how little control we have over our brains. And that's the part that'll baffle you when it comes time to meditate is the only place that we usually see how little control we have over our brains is when we're falling asleep or trying to fall asleep Mm -hmm. and we can't shut our brain off. But once you learn to continually refocus on that object of attention, you know, it doesn't, you know, there's some people who say, oh, you got to sit a certain way, you got to do things a certain way. But I don't really think so. I think All you have to do to to get the neurological benefits of meditation is to continually and deliberately refocus on that one thing. And if that one thing is a neutral object of attention, like the sensations as your breath flows in and out of your stomach, or I guess your lungs, it doesn't go, maybe it does go into your stomach. You observe the sensations of that and it's a neutral object and your mind will wander, but you continually bring it back. And every time you do, you exercise your attention muscle a bit more. Okay, fantastic. Exercising the attention muscle. I like that. So then it's it's big and strong and better able to be applied. Yeah, because when you look at 
the neuroscience behind attention and, and the studies that have been done around attention, they show that in the average moment, we only bring 53% of our attention to what's in front of us. So we leave half of our attention and our focus on the table. And what that means in practice is we're not engaged with our work. Our mind is off wandering to what we forgot to do, or it's worrying about something, or it's off in a fantasy land somewhere. Um, it's not directly engaged with the work that's in front of us. And I think there's a direct connection between how much focus we bring and how long something takes. If we bring 53% of our attention, which the average person does, to our work, we're going to accomplish half as much as somebody that brings their full attention to their work and does work out that attention muscle. And it kind of speaks to another point when it comes to productivity is one of the things that I discovered in the productivity project is that there's a lot of productivity BS out there. Mm -hmm. But for all the time you spend reading about productivity, you have to make that time back and then some, or else you're basically just looking at productivity porn. You know, oh, but meditation yeah. is, is one of the, <laughs> you like productivity <laughs> porn. It, it's, it's very entertaining and engaging, but, <laughs> but it doesn't lead you to accomplish more, which the best tactics out there do. And meditation is one of them. So you spend time meditating, but you, it's a way of exchanging your time for attention. And so you're able to bring more focus to your work and you have more clarity when you're trying to work on something and you have more energy at the same time because you give your mind a, a few moments to rest, rest as difficult as meditation may be. It's worthwhile because of that. Oh, thank you. That was simple, clear, persuasive. I dig it. I dig it. Hey, there you go. So now I want to ask you the greatest question that has plagued me and perhaps all of mankind for for decades. Well, I, I think I'm okay with that one. <laughs> okay. What is the meaning of life, Pete? Well, I, I'm big on on Jesus and you know the Trinity being an internal exchange of love, and we're made in His image, and so cool. to to be that. So that's kind of how I like to roll. Nice. Yeah, that's yeah, fun. Uh, Christian and the Buddhist getting together for this podcast. I love uh, it. That's the beauty of a joke, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two, two, yeah, Christian and a Buddhist walk into a podcast. <laughs> and we'll see what comes out the other side. Yeah. So along those lines, uh, so yeah, my big question is, and, and I think it's just part of the human experience, but some days, and you mentioned this in your book too, some days are you're rocking, you're rolling, high energy. It seems like tasks are just like, oh, simple, child's play. I'm just going to blaze through those and enjoy doing it and feel... Right, 10,000 words, that's nothing. Totally, yeah. totally. In my sleep. And then there are other days where it's like, ugh, it's, everything seems like a slog. I'm tired, it's tough, it's like, ugh, I don't want to. There, there's a lot of that. And I've tried to pinpoint like the biggest variables or, or levers that, that make all the difference. And I think there's, there's a lot of them from, you know, exercise and nutrition and sleep and having a good plan and, and all that. But I'd yeah. love to know, since you have obsessively explored this question, what have you found to be like the top leverage points, the biggest difference makers that turn it into a rockin' day versus a blah slog day? I'm going to give kind of a blah slog answer. Oh, okay. um, to be honest with you, it's it's really it really is the basic stuff. It's uh it's what we eat, it's how much we sleep, and it's whether or not we get enough physical activity. And that's probably the most boring answer imaginable. It's very like <laughs> eat your spinach type advice, but <laughs> but really there is nothing better 
to do uh, for, for your energy levels, then, then get enough sleep and exercise and uh, move enough. Uh, you know, get your 10,000 steps in and, and maybe uh, rearrange the habits of your life to allow you to do that. There really is no better advice than that. And, you know, I, I'll i tell you, I spent a lot of time searching for right. it. And there are kind of things that you can do uh, in addition to that, like stop drinking caffeine habitually. Um, instead, use it as a strategic boost before you do certain high leverage tasks, like maybe an interview, a job interview, if you're, if you're more of an extrovert. If you're an introvert, caffeine might be too big of a hit and it might make you feel overwhelmed in certain situations. Maybe drink more water is another one of them that I would put on that same level. Take frequent breaks because we have a limited pool of physiological energy in our brain that once we depleted our productivity is toast. But beyond the basics, and it's crucial to internalize these things, which is why, you know, reading about them can be so powerful. But those are kind of the basic things that you can do for your energy that really do make a difference in how much you accomplish. And they're simple, right? But sleep, as an example, is a way I frame it in the productivity project as exchanging your time for energy, because I, I think it really is a connection that linear, uh, but it's not linear. You know, for every minute of sleep you miss out on, for every hour of sleep you miss out on, I think you lose more than that amount of time in productivity the next mm, day I second um, that. because it's such a crucial uh, tactic. I have rule in the book and I frame it as kind of a pseudoscientific rule. Be, there's no hard science behind it because everybody's wired so differently. But the rule is that, and it's a good one to live by, for every hour of sleep you miss, you lose two hours of productivity the next day. And so you end up losing more time <laughs> than, than you gained if you miss out on an hour of sleep. And so it's simple advice, but it really is powerful stuff when it comes to managing your energy. Uh, but like you said, when you, we were chatting about this question first, sometimes, sometimes you do everything right. right, And for some reason, you just don't have enough energy in the tank and the day is a slog. And I found that even though I've been exploring productivity so much, I still have a, a day like that every once in a while, even though you kind of understand, I understand most of the dots that lead me to behave a certain way or feel a certain way. Sometimes that's just a reality. And some days the opposite will be the case and, and everything will seem effortless. But when you do what you can to have enough energy by doing the basics, as well as the, the, you know, the smarter things like drinking caffeine, strategically drinking more water, taking more breaks than you are already. I think that'll help you out quite a bit. Okay, fabulous. And I'd be curious to hear if you're open to disclosing, what's your ratio there in terms of even when you're doing all the things right, what proportion of days still have a bit of a slog? I am an open book, man. Anything you want to ask, I am game. The proportion of days, I would say... It's tough these days because I travel quite a bit with, with the work that I'm doing. I would say once a month or so at this point, and it used to be a lot worse, but about once a month, you know, I have a day where it's just a, a drag. I'm dragging my, my heels uh, the, the entire day better than I used to be. But sometimes I'm just like, why the heck do I have no energy today? And I really have no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, fair yeah. enough. Well, thank you. Thank you for, for that input there. So we talked a good but, bit. But, you know, oh, go I, I should qualify. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. But uh, I, I should qualify that by saying that, you know, I spent a whole year uh, making an effort to invest in my productivity and my energy levels. And I've been curious about this stuff for a decade. So I, I would hope I would be at least there. Understood. Understood. 
And, and so that's handy as, as I think about uh, a benchmark to strive for. And that's pretty cool. And so now we, we talked about some good detail on the energy side of your uh, three resources there. Can you talk to us about what are some of the biggest things that make a difference in the time part of the equation? It's interesting because the three ingredients are so interwoven with one another. Because when you decide you're going to spend time on something, you're really deciding that you're actually going to spend attention and energy on that thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so they're so interwoven that that they're hard to, to untangle from one another. I think one of the, the key things that you can do with time is choosing what you spend your limited time on in the first place. And that I think is the promise of productivity is that we have such a, a finite, we really, our time is finite. We only have so much of it here on this earth. And so why not spend it more intelligently? And, and that's where I come at things from. And I think that's where productivity deserves to to have a place in our life is because our time is so limited productivity is is kind of a resource that we can use to get everything that we have to do done in a shorter amount of time so we have more time for the things that are actually meaningful to us and it goes back to that idea of intention choosing what we work on before we work on it instead of just working on autopilot mode, which is it's an easy mode to default into when we're overwhelmed. But when we're overwhelmed, it's just so much more important to choose what we spend time on in the first place. And one of my favorite ways to set those intentions on a daily basis is the rule of three. And it's a really simple rule, but there is something in our brain where we're wired to think in threes. And you can look at our culture to see this as well. You know, we have the three little bears, the three musketeers, the three blind mice. We have three Olympic medals, gold, silver, and bronze. We divide stories into three parts, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And the list goes on and on and on and on. But when we set intentions in threes, I find that's a really, really powerful way to work. And the rule of three is this. At the start of the day, you fast forward before you connect and everything like that. You fast forward to the end of the day in your head and you ask yourself, by the time the day is done, what three main things will I want to have accomplished? And those become the three things that you work on over the course of the day. And it really is that simple. And the the process of doing that only takes a minute, first of all, so you don't have to spend hours organizing mm-hmm. everything on your plate. But It is powerful because you take the time to separate what's important from what isn't and choose not only what's important, but make an active decision of what isn't as important as those things while you consider your limits. And so you can actually at the start of the day, if you feel that you do have less energy and that it's a slog to to go to work and get out of bed, Mm -hmm. you can adjust accordingly and set smaller intentions so that you're more likely to achieve them and so that you're you you can kind of take it easy on yourself as you as you work with that intention. And and it's kind of a guiding light over the course of the day. So when everything hits the fan, which so often it always does, Mm -hmm. you can have that guiding light for what's actually important that you determined ahead of time. Because the toughest time to think about your productivity is when you're doing the work. And so when you do the, the preparation ahead of time, it can make all the difference in the world. And so experimented with that numerous times. And it's so funny when I'm planning out my list, it's interesting because some of those things, it's like 
they're just going to happen anyways. You know, I've got three podcast interviews today and I'm doing a workshop tonight. Like they're just going to happen. I've made commitments to people and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to show up and do them. It's like, I'm not going to be like, yo, Chris, sorry, not feeling it. Peace. Like it's just (laughs) not going to happen. So I kind of, kind of go back and forth with myself on that. Well, well, these really are the important things that are going to happen today. So does that, count am i cheating like there's oh, no no, no. <laughs> I, I think you got like uh, the the beautiful part of this rule is that you can account for the constraints you're going to have so if your time is more constrained or it's predefined how you're going to spend it you can set intentions to do those things a certain way and so the way i frame if, if i have a day that's loaded up in in interviews like today is because i like to compartmentalize mm-hmm. the interviews that i do to to a day or two a week these days um i i can just uh set an intention to give myself a lot of space to recharge between them and to just have fun in the interviews that, that's how i frame it and my intention is to have fun and so even though the thing is predefined it informs your intentions throughout the day because it limits the amount of time that you get to spend how you choose. Um, but you can also set intentions about those things that are predefined so you can do a, an even better job of them. Maybe maybe a challenge is another way. So if uh, a report is due by the end of the day, you can set a challenge like, okay, I want to get this thing done by by 1 p.m. today. So I have the afternoon off as an example. And so you can make things more fun and, and less boring and, and frustrating sometimes with, with your work too. And so it, it's... It's a way of choosing what you work on in the first place, but also of accounting for the constraints that you have so that you can approach your work a bit differently too and, and reflect on it a bit then. I think that's that's really cool. And, and one thing I've been experimenting with along those lines is to also have kind of three habit pieces because it's sort of like in some ways, well, prayer, exercise, drinking water, it's probably just going to happen because it happens yeah. just about every day. Yeah. And when I'm on track, but but not necessarily. So I've been thinking it's like, okay, these are the three things that require independent initiative. And these are the three habits that I intend to to maintain. And in so doing, I guess for me, I'm thinking about I feel like the list is real. It's valid, if you will. If when I check them off, I feel like Mortal Kombat flawless victory. Yes. Like, (laughs) it's like, you know, elation. Like, I did it. And so it's almost like if they're too easy, it's like it didn't count. Yeah. Oh, totally, man. And and that's the thing is you can adjust with time. And and so it's a rule that's so simple, but there's such power behind it in that simplicity you know we're talking about defining three intentions it's such it's so simple (laughs) you can talk for hours about that first one when i started doing it i would make the intentions too small and way overshoot them right but then i would make the intentions too big and feel like crap because i didn't achieve them but over time you kind of settle into this equilibrium where you understand how productive you can be over the course of the day. So you have Mm -hmm. the awareness to know how much potential you have to get stuff done. And so you can say no to things accordingly. You can plan out projects accordingly. You can define your day accordingly. You can coordinate your team accordingly. And so having that, it's kind of like hyper awareness of exactly what contributes to your productivity over the course of the day, but also how much potential you have to actually get stuff done. There's a there's a certain power to that. And it comes over time. It comes, it doesn't come right away naturally. But 
as you overshoot them and undershoot these three intentions enough, you kind of settle into into a really nice rhythm where you're really productive every day. Oh, I dig. I dig. Okay, so we got the energy. We got the time. We touched on attention when it comes to meditation. What are some of the other key practices when it comes to making attention work for us? I think... One of the biggest things, and, and you know, everybody talks about multitasking, and it kind of goes in one ear and out the other. But one of the biggest things that you can internalize when it comes to attention is that the fewer things you try to focus on in the moment, the more productive you become. And so focusing on three things at one time is infinitely better than four. Focusing on two things at one time is infinitely better than two. Focusing on one thing at one time is as productive as you can become. And there's the relationship between those numbers is exponential, where the more the more things you try to focus on at one time, the more your productivity plummets. But the fewer things you focus on at one time, the more your productivity in how much you accomplish. You know, you'll feel less busy and your brain might even in some ways be less stimulated because you don't get the the dopamine hit of constantly rapidly switching between things. Mm -hmm. But you're able to dive into whatever you intended to do so much deeper. Uh, and you become aware of, of the task's nuances and you're able to you're become more likely to achieve a flow state. And working on as few things as possible in the moment is one of the best things that you can do for your productivity. I see that as being integral to managing our attention. Meditation helps you bring more attention to what you're doing in the moment and simplifying how many things you do in the moment in the first place creates the kind of it cultivates the ground uh, for you to become as productive as possible. And what that means is it means restructuring your environment in a lot of different ways so that the distractions aren't there in the first place. Because the, the simple matter of fact is the distractions we have in our work are more attractive than our work itself. That's what <laughs> makes them distractions. If our work was more stimulating than Twitter, we wouldn't be on Twitter. We would be working 100% of the time. But the honest truth is when we multitask, our brain is more stimulated, but we invariably accomplish less. And so when we kind of define our environment ahead of time and put our phone in the other room when we're working or we put it into airplane mode or sometimes even disconnecting from the internet is, is a powerful thing that we can do. I wrote most of my book disconnected from the internet, which allowed me to ship it, I think, six weeks ahead of schedule. Oh, there you go. Over the eight month timeline, I think. I think it was six or eight months that I had to write it. I, I forget what the heck it was. But one study I found in my research in the Productivity Project, it shows that when we spend time on the internet, we spend 47% of our time on the internet procrastinating. And so we leave half of our, it takes twice as long to do stuff because we waste half of the time that we're spending. And so doing these simple things to make it easier for us to not be distracted in the moment and recognizing that distractions are more attractive than our work so much of the time is crucial, I think. Perfect. Okay, that's good. That's good stuff. So, well, now, before we shift gears to the, the Fast Favorites segment, I'd like to get your... Oh, that qu- sounds exciting. Fast Favorites. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. It'll be fast. You'll okay. be strapping in. But before we go I'm, there... I'm strapping all right. <laughs> it's going to be good. I'd love to hear... Let's hit the procrastination piece. So, so part of it is you're stimulated by other things that are distractions that are kind of more 
interesting in the moment. Yeah. And yeah. then you also highlighted some research in your book about some of the key procrastination triggers and tactics for overcoming that. Could you speak to that a bit? Yeah, for, for sure. This is kind of the approach that I take with a lot of the things that I experiment with is the place I start is with the science and I work backwards to what we have to do every day to live in accordance with that. It turns out that the science behind procrastination, it's fascinating. And so there are certain attributes that a task can have that make us more likely to procrastinate on it. And, right. and those are whether a task is boring, whether it's frustrating, whether I, I did pull up the list, <laughs> whether it's difficult, whether it lacks personal meaning, whether it lacks intrinsic rewards, so it's not rewarding in and of itself, uh, whether it's ambiguous and whether it's unstructured. And so the more of these tasks, the more of these attributes a task has, the more likely we are to put it off. And so take doing your taxes as a pretty good kind of recent example today. Doing your taxes has pretty much every trigger under the sun. It's boring. It's frustrating. It's difficult. It lacks personal meaning unless you find meaning in giving money to the government. (laughs) Uh, It lacks intrinsic rewards unless you do one of those apps where you can see the the amount that your refund is going to be go up. For me, I have to pay tax every year because I'm self-employed. So that's not so fun. It's ambiguous. It's unstructured. And so we put it off until the last minute. I think last year here in Canada, they even extended the tax deadline because people didn't have it done in time. That's the reason that the entire tax industry exists. I think it's a $500 billion industry in the U.S. is because taxes is so aversive to us because it sets off pretty much every trigger under the sun. But you take something like watching Netflix, you know, it's it's uh, not mm-hmm. boring. It's very entertaining. It's not frustrating. It's not very difficult, to be honest with you. Uh, it probably lacks personal meaning, but it's pretty rewarding. It's not ambiguous and it's structured. You know, they even give you, I, I wouldn't know this, I, this is what I've heard, but I've heard they even give you a little preview of the next episode be, before you're finished watching the current one. You mm-hmm. know, so you can click it and just go to the, the next one and watch the entire seasons, uh, the entire season of House of Cards in, in two days earlier or a couple months ago. But I'm definitely not speaking from experience. Certainly not. No, definitely not. But when you look at which of these triggers a task has when you notice that you're putting it off, then you can kind of make a plan to flip them around. And so if you notice that a task is boring, you can make a game out of it by say, you know, what I like to do with my taxes is for every 15 minutes I spend working on them, I'll put two or three bucks into a, into a fun fund that I can spend afterwards. Or if it's uh, unstructured, you can create structure around it by doing research or hiring a tax company to do it for you. So you can kind of earn back and buy back a bit of your own time that way. And so, By looking and breaking down these tasks, you can kind of reverse these triggers and twist them around so you can become more productive. Because procrastination is a it's a huge productivity suck because forming intentions is one thing and it's a beautiful ritual and exercise. But procrastination is, in essence, a breakdown of our intentions because we intend to do one thing and we end up doing another. But when you have that awareness that comes with uh, doing fewer things in the moment, uh, when you have the more, when, when you have more resiliency because you meditate more often, when you have more energy to bring to your work, and when you have tactics like that where you can break these things down to really dissect why a certain task is so aversive to you in the first place, you can flip them around and 
and uh, fire up the logical part of your brain to overcome the uh, the emotional part of your brain. Very cool. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Let's do it. So so now we'll procrastinate no longer and talk no, about some of your favorite things. <laughs> we, we should have done that segment after the segment. <laughs> you know, I don't feel like it. Let's just call it a day. Okay. That's not true. I very much want to know some of your favorite things. Uh, could Let's you kick go. us off by hearing a, a yeah. favorite quote, something that inspires you again and again? Oh, man, I have a few of them and, and none of them are coming to mind right now. Let's get back to that one. I'll give that one to you later. Okay, sure. How about a favorite study or a piece of research? That we spend 47% of our internet time procrastinating. It's, it's one that I keep coming back to because I keep falling into that trap <laughs> of wasting time on the internet. But I, I think it just goes to show that technology is a tool. And it's a tool that supports our work. It's not meant to be our work. And it become, it can become such a, an immersive distraction when we're not careful. Mm-hmm. And how about a favorite book? I would have to say Getting Things Done oh, by yeah. David Allen or, or Lynchpin by Seth Godin. I, I'm a huge fan of both of those books. Oh, yeah. David Allen's the man. Episode 15, what, what? Good guy. Yeah. Good guy. And, oh, a quote for you. A quote for you. Oh, I'm on uh, it. You can only connect the dots looking backwards, not looking forwards. And uh, that's the essence of the quote. I forget the exact one, but Steve Jobs said that. How about a favorite website or online resource? Google. It's pretty good. You can get to any other website for that. You know, if if I handy. had a choice of website, you know, I'd just do Google. I'm a big nerd. And so uh, I, I like any Apple news site. It's pretty geeky. Probably nobody else would pick that. Google. I'd have to go Google. That's fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> So you can get to any other site, man. It's like you get them all for for the price of one when you pick that. It's a bargain. What's your favorite website? Oh, boy. Besides your own website, you can't pick your own. I know, I know. And and you will follow the rules. I mean, we'll we'll, we'll mention that too. I'm going to go... so corny to pick your own. Oh, there's so many different... Yeah. I think Ted, Ted is just oh, so yeah. high quality again and again and, and interesting and worthwhile. So I'm going to have yeah. to say Ted. That's a better one. It's a better one than Google. Has anybody ever said Google to that question? No, you're, well, you're an innovator in that way. So okay. I think props I'm an for early, that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about, not an early adopter of Google. <laughs> it's 2016. <laughs> uh, a lot of people use Google. I remember in high school, uh, teachers like, oh my gosh, Google is just amazing. And we, that was like, we were excited. Like, it really is better than Lycos and AltaVista and Hotbot and Yahoo and Excite. Oh, I, I still remember <laughs> AltaVista. And uh, like, I, I'm a relatively younger guy, but I remember hopping onto AltaVista for sure in that, that Yahoo directory. Remember the Yahoo oh, directory? Oh, yeah. In a way, it was oh, fun man. playing around there. Yeah. It was it was kind of fun how much effort it took to get something to a certain website because once once you got to to where you wanted to go it felt like you'd accomplished something right but these days when any website at our fingertips we're so spoiled man <laughs> I hear you I hear you Wikipedia that's another good one Oh yeah absolutely rock solid uh, how about a favorite nugget that you share that fans really resonate with? Like you say it and people are, they're nodding their heads, they're retweeting, they're they are highlighting it in your Kindle book. What is it? That productivity is not about how much we produce. It's about how much we accomplish. That's the one that that I think resonates with people because you could produce email all day long and not accomplish a single thing. You can produce tweets all day long and you can do busy work all day long. But 
really busyness is no different from laziness when it doesn't lead you to accomplish anything. Mm, indeed. And how about a best way to find you? Should we go to lifeofproductivity.com or Wiggle yeah. Chicken on Twitter? Where would yeah. you want to point people? Man, my website is, yeah, like you said, a alifeofproductivity.com. That's where all the experiments are. There's no ads or sponsorships on that thing. There's one of those annoying newsletter pop-ups that comes up on some sites, but you can exit out of that and never see it again. My book is called The Productivity Project. That's uh, in bookstores everywhere, pretty much everywhere on the planet right now, which is really cool. You can walk into a bookstore and pick up a copy. I'm on Twitter at Wiggle Chicken and at ALO Productivity. Stands for a life of productivity if you want blog articles and the occasional brain dropping from me. I'll just throw one more out there at folks. Um, I'm doing a lot of productivity courses now. And so one of the things that I hear from companies is that they want their employees to become productive, but they don't want to, you know, bring in some kind of cold and corporate expert on productivity. They want to kind of introduce this new idea that productivity isn't just about time. It's about focusing well. It's about managing our energy well as well. And, uh, and so that's one of the things I'm doing more and more of is uh, these courses and speaking. And so I'll, I'll drop a I'll drop a mention for that as well. Mm, I can even hear the drop. That's nice. Yeah, that was the forces <laughs> dropping, actually, metaphorically. It was a, yeah. Oh, you're so hip with the lingo. It drops. <laughs> it doesn't release. It drops. It drops. <laughs> yeah. Well, it just dropped again. It's, 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 oh my God, it keeps dropping. I can't. I can't stop it from dropping. Uh, hopefully, there's lots of recurring revenue then with all the dropping repeatedly. Every time this drops, I get, <laughs> wow. I, I could just do this all day instead of uh, traveling around and uh, doing courses. <laughs> and, and, and it's hugely value added. <laughs> I could just drop this pen. It's a, this is actually a very nice pen. I should mention this pen. I should give this pen a plug. Not that a pen needs a plug, especially one by Pilot, but it's the Pilot Precise V5RT. You should put a link to it in the show notes. I will. It's the best pen I've ever written with. You, you go to the website or you go to the Amazon page for this pen and there's poetry on the page dedicated to this pen. Oh, well, I'm checking it out. I'm a huge fan of yeah. Office Supplies. I've liked the the tool, uh, Needlepoint uh, Gel Ink, uh, private label of Office Max. I don't know if that's still going to be around with the merger. Hope it is, but I'll oh, check man. out yours as well. And, yeah. and, and final kind of a challenge or call to action or parting thought yeah. for those seeking to become more awesome at their jobs? Tomorrow morning. Before the day starts, fast forward to the end of the day in your head and ask what three things you'll want to get done by the time the day is done. It's so simple and it only takes a couple minutes, but it's one of those productivity tactics where you earn all the time back that you spend on it. And those are rare. If you pick up a copy mm -hmm. of The Productivity Project, I went through uh, hundreds of productivity hacks and tactics throughout the year. And for this book, I, I don't know how many pages this thing is. I think it's 287. It's a 287-page book, but there is a 1,000-page book out there of all the stuff that didn't work. And so, But that is one of the best tactics out there that will give you so much more time back when you spend time on it in the first place. Beautiful. Well, Chris, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much. And, and best of luck with your courses and book and speaking and, and, all, and dropping things. <laughs> I, I don't know what's happening, but uh, I just, it's recurring. Is this what they mean when they say recurring revenue? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah. rich now. 
<laughs> I guess I am. Is that annoying uh, in your earbuds? I guess we'll hear about yeah, it's it later, not too but... bad. It's not too bad. And the audio engineer folk will 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 make it all the more musical. Yeah. <laughs> It should be a, a little beat every time it drops. This is just maybe weird. Some, maybe I, I could do some freestyle productivity to the pen drop. No, I you probably could I'd not, say not Lin, I'm not Lin Manuel Manuel Miranda or anything. <laughs> well, I, I love it. it's just weird enough. It's going to make people remember this conversation. Like the guy who dropped everything told me to yes. put, name three guy? things in the morning, and it's changed my whole life. <laughs> yeah. Whole life changed with a drop of a pen. Uh, mm, potent. Who would have thought? Well, this has been a treat, and, and I just wish you tons of luck in, in all your pursuits here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks so much. Oh, I hope you had some fun with that, and you're going to take away at least something from there. There's a potpourri, a smorgasbord to work with. I have been really digging the identifying the three things, and I put it on a five by eight thick index card just because it feels good to cross it off of that and to have that full piece of paper empty. But that's me. Whatever works for you, do it. Check it out. Review the stuff. You can find that at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep32. And I'll catch you next time. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. 